Welcome to Mindful Businesses presented by Sarani. I am your host, Vidya Iyer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us Kimberly McLaughlin, founder and CEO of Grant Boulevard, a sustainable brand with a mission to do what's good for people and to do what's good for our planet. For us, it means no new waste, no new fabric waste, in particular, no new water waste. It's taking fabrics that already exist, building into the DNA of the businesses we create, equal space for people who don't even necessarily need a second chance. You know, many of them need a first chance. Kimberly does this in Philadelphia, but joins us from a well-deserved vacation in Sevilla, Spain. Hello. Thank you for that generous introduction and for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yes, I was reading a little bit about your background and you grew up in Milwaukee and had the opportunity to travel all over the world. How do you think these life experiences and upbringing helped you in creating your brand, Grand Boulevard? I think that for all of us, we all have places that have added something to our understanding of not only place in the world, but obligation. And Grant Boulevard is the story of my coming to terms with what that would mean um, for me. And so for, for me, it's living in a, com- a community on the north side of Milwaukee, which was predominantly black, but being born into a family of, of parents who converted to Islam when I was about six. And we spent a lot of time in different uh, Muslim communities. So even in my early childhood, there was always a sense of uh, the large world. It, it lived in how my mom cooked when she entertained. It lived in uh, the languages that I heard and attempted to learn in mosques, uh, both on the north and south side of, of Milwaukee. And and it really, it gave for me, I think, a really deep and personal sense of of not only being, but trying to be with other people and doing that in a way that I could I could find peace with. So how did you come up with the name Grand Boulevard? It's an unusual name. Why? Why not Kimberly? <laughs> uh, I I think because I think because my my in my heart of hearts, when I think about the best thing that we can do for our families and for our neighbors, is thinking about the places that we all care about and that we want to see survive. And and on a very very micro level, that's that block uh, and that house at twenty six seventy seven Grant Boulevard. And if you look at it on a macro. It's just a guiding principle, and it's shown up in my teaching. I was I was a classroom teacher for a pretty long time, about 17 years. It's this idea of creating community around place, and my ambition with this, with launching this startup, was to do that and to find a way of creating something replicable where we could create a sense of neighborhood and community in places where I think that there's a, a wonderful opportunity to bring people together. So this was Grand Boulevard in Milwaukee, where you grew up. Yep, Grand Boulevard, five three two one zero. So um, there is this. Um, you talked about green collar. Is that a new concept? I'd never come across that term. What exactly is green collar? Well, when we think about this tradition of blue collar, which is what my parents were—people who my parents they met in college. They didn't finish college. They started their family and transitioned into working before they completed their degrees at Marquette. Uh, they moved into a, a, a this interesting and I think sacred space where Americans had the opportunity to make a living wage and to raise their families and to save money and to have protected health care and time off 
And that that's going through an interesting period of transition. And I, and I hope my hope for the planet is, is that this new wave of creating sustainable economies lives in creating jobs for people that while giving them all of those, what I see is really actually human rights privileges does so in a way that doesn't eat away at the planet, which for anyone who's, who's been paying attention to, to, the, to science and who respects scientific minds, that's, that's also something we have to be mindful of. So for me, green collar jobs are about a new intersection of innovation where we give people access to human rights while doing it in a way that doesn't undermine the needs of the natural world. Tell me what exactly Grand Boulevard does. What is your mission? How is your brand different than the other sustainable giving back to society brands? I think one of the things that makes Grand Boulevard beautifully unique is, is not just the way that we source, which if, we, if I just pause for that a little bit, for us, that means no new waste, no new fabric waste, in particular, no new water waste. It's taking fabrics that already exist, sourcing them from thrift stores, from consignment shops, and then taking those garments, typically those garments that are actually gendered for male bodies, when we think about male, how design has, has gendered clothing, and creating garments, at least in this iteration of the company at in this point, because this isn't, you know, when I think about the long term, the, the brand will evolve. But where we are right now, and what I hope to actually keep as a staple in our collection, uh, collections moving forward, are garments that, are, that always kind of um, take back things that belong to men and reimagine them for women. So when it comes to the design aesthetic, that's a part of what we do. And then when we think about how we do that, I think the other thing that makes Grand Boulevard unique is, is what we've been building is a team of makers through a fellowship, uh, fellowship program in partnership with local nonprofits, which teaches women who have an experience with incarceration how to sew. Uh, that's like, we'll do that four days a week between the sewing instruction and the application of the skills that they've I've been working to develop. And then another day is working towards some life skills. So while they, my ambition for the company is to serve as an employer, particularly of women who have been purposefully marginalized, it is also to give some of the soft skills that so many of us, I think we take for granted. And I should say, let me back up a little bit. So many of us who have that access to those life skills quietly embedded into our daily lives and the fabric of our family dynamics, regardless of their dysfunction, their levels of dysfunction, there are these soft skills that I think we are all made stronger by. I know I personally have been made stronger by, which for me have lived in uh, yoga and meditation and thinking about how, what I eat and when I eat and what my relationship to food is. So there are, and how do I bank and how do I maintain a bank account? How, what do I understand about credit? So there are all these things when we talk about marginalized communities, particularly those that are black and brown in the story of America but those skills just aren't really taught. And, and I'm really excited about creating a company that exists to give those kind of like industrial skills, but also the skills that make for a happy, self-sufficient living. So what are the products that you make? I saw some t-shirts on your website, some sweatshirts. What And are they, you said they are um, gender neutral, right? Well, the t-shirts and the sweatshirts are, that's definitely a part of the, that's part of the intention. Uh, and so we started with a t-shirt. Well, we, I don't know that we, I don't know, it's hard to say at this point. We kind of started, I actually at some of the reclaimed garments. That was the first thing we produced for a crowdfund reward that we ran about a little bit more than a year ago now, about 15 months ago. And then as I grew capacity and started working with more skilled designers, it became transitioning from not just offering the reclaimed garments, but also trying to figure out how we could communicate our values in a way that was just kind of on trend and fresh and honest about cash bail and about mass incarceration, about feminism. And that's something I'm really excited about playing with more and more. While I have a 
an amazing talent and the woman who's right now serving as a director of design and production. I get to kind of show my stamp on things a little more explicitly in how we approach t-shirt design. So we are very careful about sourcing garments, fabric that are in like really good or even excellent condition and that so many of the things we donate to these thrift stores are actually brand new and then putting a new a new lease on life on them. That's what we do. We reimagine things. So you mainly get these raw materials and fabrics and clothes from uh, thrift stores. Yes, that's where we in, in this iteration, that's where we get them from. There are a number of fabrics that I think there's a pretty sound body of research that they have some I guess some reduced negative impact on the planet in terms of how they're grown and how much fertilizer they require, how much water they require to use. And I'm, and I'm excited about moving into those fabrics as we, you know, we're, we're, we're always, and I think this is just what I'm learning about business is that we're always thinking about how we can raise more capital, either through sales or through just investment opportunities. And so we're looking forward to figuring out how we can continue that balance, getting that balance right so we can start to play in ways that we can do things that are, you know, one of a kind. Yes, we'll keep some of those in the collection because those are fun and funky and fresh, but also some small batch pieces that can be more easily replicated. Since you're in West Philly and so close to uh, University of Pennsylvania and um, pretty close to Drexel, what happens every year when the kids move out and they throw out so many of their clothes which are barely used? Is there a way you can try to capitalize on that? I, I think there may be some potential for that, for sure. I know that there are a couple of nonprofits in the city who work to create um, essentially interview closets for students who are going off to work. And they and, you know, who are looking for interviews. And, and that's what they do in terms of partnering with students to collect things. And, and this I think that there's a lot of potential there. On the other end, we have to be careful about the legalities of working in the for profit space and then transitioning to doing something that sounds a little bit more in the nonprofit realm. So I'm, I'm definitely that's on my radar, a radar, a radar is something that we like to play with in the future, just figuring out the logistics around how we can do that legally and then how we can do that, you know, just efficiently. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So many of us, it's in our culture to consume and we buy more than we need and more than we can actually store. And that ends up in landfills. And I'm really, I'm always excited about opportunities to reduce landfill waste, particularly when it comes to things that are completely salvageable. So all your products are made in Philadelphia by the women that you train to sew and it's created by your creative team. Is that correct? So right now, everything is created completely in Philadelphia. All manufacturing is done in Philadelphia. Nothing is outsourced, uh, which I think there are a lot of brands who who really position themselves to be ethical. And they, they still rely a lot on, on exploitation of people of color overseas. And, and I'm not interested in that. So I'm really interested, as I said earlier, just kind of creating a workforce, developing a workforce of people who already have clear talents and just need some opportunity and some skill development to get them to the place where they can do that. So as I think we're going into maybe two weeks ago, we did our first round of interviews, which is incredibly exciting of women who we're going to bring into our first makers class. So we're, we've, we have like, as I said, I, th- I think I said this, we have a really just innovative, open-minded partner in, in, in the nonprofit world, a few of them actually in, in the Philadelphia landscape who are partnering with us in making sure that, that this project works. And then we're relying on the immense talent of a woman who's on faculty at Drexel University to lead our instructional program. So it's a, it's a beautiful synergy of, of, of business and academia. And then, you know, local, just people are grassroots people who are like doing the work every day of figuring out how to support people who have been really in ways kind of left behind. I was impressed that you carry from an extra small to um, a size zero rather to um, double X. Talk about that. Is that part of your mission 
to have the clothes accessible, you know, regardless of your size and not, it's all about equality, right? It it is. And actually it's about love. Like I love women who look all kinds of ways. I love people who identify as women, people who just like women's clothing, who have all kinds of body types. And so when I think about the, the women who are in my circle, the idea that, you know, that, that half of them or a third of them couldn't show up for me or couldn't, you know, couldn't access the things that I'm creating because I've purposely kind of either ignored them or seen them as, or just haven't seen them. It's not even conceivable to me. So it's, and and that way it's not, don't get me wrong. Like there are people from just a business perspective, all consumers, they, we, we all, we all look so different. So the idea of just like turning a blind eye to that doesn't make sense for me. I'm a really petite woman. I'm five, two, I weigh about 110 pounds. Uh, but members of my, of the creative team behind the scenes, they're, we're not, they're not all like me. They're, they're, they're each their own wave. And I think that we do a better job of making sustainability accessible when we make it inclusive. But so when we think about size inclusivity, that's something we're definitely mindful of. The other way that I'm really being, I'm trying to be mindful in terms of the approach that I'm taking as we make decisions, even about pricing, is that sustainability has to be affordable. I was wondering how you reach your target customers because I brought up your brand to my daughter who went to school in West Philadelphia and she hadn't heard about it. And she's oh, like, this no. is so cool. It's just totally up my alley. <laughs> yes. And we were, I was like, how come you haven't heard about it? So, yeah, I think, I think in part it's because we're new. And I think that, I think that's the learning curve. But one, I would love to, to talk to her and tell her about what we're doing. And I, she is absolutely the target demographic. I'm actually, I've been speaking a lot more at Temple. Um, I probably go Temple at Temple students, Temple professors ask me to come probably. And this last year, I've maybe spoken at Temple maybe four times. I've been at Drexel probably twice. So I haven't been to UPenn yet. So UPenn is, I would absolutely love to be there. If you were to ask me, where would I love to have Grant Boulevard when we land? It actually is in West Philly near UPenn. So you should, you know, hook us up. Let's, we'll touch bases and I will tell her everything she and her crew needs to know about Grand Boulevard. <laughs> so you mentioned about your prices and they are reasonable. How do you manage to keep the prices so tight, like so low, not low, but accessible? Yeah, it's just been about trying to figure out. And, and you know, so th- it's very interesting. I think that when we think about business models, it's about how do we get to the point where our, where the people who we're targeting feel like they can engage. And I think that because we, you know, when we think about women between the ages of 22 and 32, what market research says about them, their interest in sustainability, they're just coming out of college. And so they can't afford to pay $500 for a dress. But there is a market for women who have who are interested in sustainability and can't afford that and, and really take a deep sense of pride in realizing that their garments are one of a kind. So for us, it's been about having a range, you know, having things, the t-shirts, you, you can get a t-shirt, you can, you, it's not even just about the support, you can buy a one of a kind t-shirt that will allow you to communicate your values at $24. And this fall, we're introducing a new collection, a new direction for us, which I'm really excited about, which is outerwear. This fall, this cool weather collection has a lot of outerwear in it. And we'll launch it in the, in the very beginning of, we'll probably, you know, we'll be launching it in October, which is just post Philadelphia Fashion Week. But we know within that, that window of Philadelphia Fashion Week. Um, and those those garments, because they are much more time intensive, they there are a lot of them are taking, I mean, these amazing collection of vintage coats and then, you know, essentially upgrading them to make them keeping the old, the core aesthetic and then upgrading it to give, put them a little bit more on trend. Those will be more expensive. Those will be run between probably $400 and $600. So there'll be a wider spread of things as we move into the cool weather 
um, and what we're offering for, for that particular um, seasonal change. But I think that the hope is, is that we will always offer things that every that allows everyone a participation point, because I think that's important. So to touch a little bit on your on the topic that you're really passionate about is the citizens returning. What percent of them are you able to help? And I'm, I don't mean right now, but in the future, maybe. Yeah, no, I think that uh, of the of all the people in, in, the, in the American, the story of America right now in this moment of America who get arrested and spend time in jail, 95% of them return to their community. So we use two terms interchangeably. Some people you'll hear formerly incarcerated, you'll hear returning citizens. 95% of the people who get arrested, who are convicted of a crime and who spend some time in jail, they get, they, they're ultimately released. And so when we talk about what that means, particularly for women who I'm most interested in just showing up for, 80% of them are mothers. And when we have this class of women who have families, uh, children who they're responsible for providing for and, and limited job opportunities, in part because you know, there is a lot of stigma about hiring people who have convict- felony convictions in particular. And when those companies do exist and where they have sprouted and shown up for people who have that particular kind of personal experience, many of them are jobs that are gendered for men. And the other reality of being a woman in America is that nearly, you know, one in five women will have some history of sexual violence perpetrated by men. So the idea of coming out of the trauma of being incarcerated and having to go into a workspace that's gendered towards men is something I'm just really mindful of. So there's a lot of potential for companies like mine, all, I mean, really every company, to kind of do its part in a different kind of way, which is challenging stigma from the very floor up, building into the DNA of the businesses we create, equal space for people who don't even necessarily need a second chance. You know, many of them need a first chance. If we think about really honestly about about the neighborhoods that people who are likely to end up in a, in a pattern of incarceration come from, there's been a lot of lifelong kind of just um, neglect. And so and that's what, what I'm really interested in figuring out. And I think that as I, as I talk about the brand, as I talk with other people who are thinking about how they can build companies that are more um, inclusive, I'm really excited about what I hope to be not a new wave of exploitation, but a new wave of forward thinking about creating space for people, regardless of the complications of their of what surviving has had to mean for them. How do you reach out to these women? It must be fairly complicated to be able to maybe talk to their parole. It was. Well, fairly. I really appreciate you saying that. It has been fairly complicated in part because that's not my personal life experience. So before I launched the company, I spent about maybe almost 18 months just listening in deference to people who had been incarcerated. I volunteered. I lobbied in Harrisburg, the state capital of Pennsylvania. I showed up at grassroots effort efforts, regard, if it was a meeting, if it was a protest, if it was a rally, if it was a community meeting, if it was like a behind the doors brainstorm about finding solutions. And I listened for a long time. I just listened. And then as I, as I became more ingratiated with the community as, because I was building community it, it gave me a few little doors into how I was going to make something exist that didn't exist. And then, you know, you find the right partner. The reality is that the nonprofit world is it's really competitive. Um, there, there's, a, there's definitely, whether it's, it's, it's accurate or not, there's a perceived culture that resources are scarce. And I think that that, that, has all, that hasn't been a barrier for me per se, but it's something that I'm aware of. And it just, you know, I was persistent in truth. I just, I kept telling people that, I thought that there was an opportunity to do things differently. And I showed them, you know, 
um, Nevada Gray, who's been designing and, and the, our lead designer, our lead, lead of everything that has to do with production. She, the proof is in the pudding. She's good at what she does. And I think when you can show people, it's not just about the theory, it's about the quality of the execution. Then it's just a matter of like the marathon, you know, and that's where we're in right now is we're really excited about being in the marathon of building team with women. We right now we're a women operated company who really just want to show up in the right way in this moment that's so pivotal in terms of what the future of our planet will be. So it's a part of making sure they have a living wage, part of the mission of uh, Grant Boulevard? It is absolutely a part of the mission of Grant Boulevard. So the hope is, is that with this first makers class, we'll get some, it'll be a, a absolutely a mutually beneficial um, experience. My ambition is that they these women who are in this first class will feel supported. They'll feel excited. They'll feel seen. They'll feel like they're treated as equals and that they'll also feel like they're learning things that are not actually beyond the point of what they can, what they can manage. You know, like we, there's this interesting learning curve in, in all forms of education where you want to, you know, you always want to push people, but you don't want to push them to the point of, of persistent frustration. So we're going to really work hard in this first class to get that blend right. And then the ambition is that they will stay on with us. And as we grow our capacity through adding them to our team, we'll grow our sales, we'll grow our visibility, and people will get excited first about the quality of the fashion. And then, you know, secondly, about the, the way we go about it and the why we go about it. And I think that that's the, the trifecta that from day one was always what I thought American consumers, really international consumers were, were waking up to, was that there was, there was room to demand more. It's, it's just a matter of can we put our product in front of people and they give us the shot at it. And so that's what we're working on right now. Really hard is getting the marketing right and, and, you know, just making sure that our makers know what they're doing. They feel good about what they're doing. Often the women who work for you probably do not have the social and emotional support and networks available to them. Does Grand Boulevard offer these supports to the women? Do they offer childcare? Probably not right now since you're a fairly small company. But is that something that you will consider offering in the future? And for now, maybe flexible hours for the workers to be able to take care of their how you know responsibilities at home or their children. You know, when I thought about the beginning, what would this brand do? I, I actually envisioned it as providing childcare services. That's something that I'm that I was interested in figuring out how I could do it. As it works, I think for this current makers class, it won't necessarily, it may, it may be something that would be helpful, but those are things they kind of have um, sorted out for themselves. But as I look forward, if I were to envision in, in three years or five years where we are, there would definitely be a part of our, our built into our, the fabric, even just in our facilities, where there will be some support in terms of just what we are, we're a village. And so how can we help you as a member of this village uh, show up for yourself so you can show up for the people who are counting on you? And I think being able to make childcare easy is definitely a part of that. And then the other thing you mentioned was just like getting the hours right. And I, and right now we're we're so small that we're actually very nimble. And I don't I don't know we're collecting it. We're gonna the intention this this as we move forward is just to collect the right data about what works and what doesn't work, and then try to to adjust to what what makes things feel safe and what makes things functional. So what was the biggest challenge Grand Boulevard has faced today, and was that challenge? maybe a turning point for you? As businesses grow, getting access to capital is huge in, terming, in terms of figuring out how quickly you can scale, how aggressive you can be with where you invest and how you invest. And I think that, that, that's, that that's something that, we're, that I, as a CEO, am still 
working to navigate, you know, not wanting to, you know, just wanting to get that, strike that balance, right. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give up too much of my ownership. That's something that I want to protect. And at the same time, investment capital can help us, could help us move a little further, a little faster. And so uh, it's good though. It's it's really, it's all good. We're learning in this moment now of figuring out how we're going to get our, I'm thinking maybe this is just, if I talk to other people, this is just like, this is the way it is. It's always figuring out where, while we're working on generating, you know, growing capacity and generating revenue and figuring out how to get to new larger sums of investment capital. It's just getting that balance right. And so we're moving into uh, this fall, we'll be launching a second round of, an, of, of essentially another capital campaign, which is, it's actually really exciting. I think that I spent a lot of time this last year and growing um, the brand's visibility and, and just kind of educating people about what the options are and growing some excitement about the potential for all of us to do our part in new ways when it comes to our consumption. And so I'll be I'll be going out and I'll be like, you know, rallying people who have been who have backed us before to rally the people that, that back them to get excited about the potential for showing up for this whole cohort of women, not just me, but all the women who are, who really believe in the potential of Grand Boulevard and who want to, who want to see their lives be improved because of it. Thank you, Kimberly, for sharing your mission. And we would love our listeners to follow your journey. Uh, where would one buy Grand Boulevard products? So I think that I would love to have you guys, lovely listeners, uh, support Grand Boulevard, both because the fashion is fresh, but also because the the values are so clear and I think really thoughtfully executed. You can shop us online at our website, www.grantboulevard.com. You should follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Grant Boulevard. That way you can always kind of see what we're playing with and where we are when we're out and about. We'll post things. Our pop-up shops are announced in those ways. We'll send it. We'll create a Facebook event or you'll see a, a some kind of a graphic on our Instagram or Facebook feeds that show where we're going to be. Uh, and those are probably the two most uh, consistent ways for you to get to where we are and see what we're playing with. And just know that, you know, we are so excited about this moment in American fashion where there are a, a new class of designers, of makers, really, who are thinking not just about this moment, but about how we can use the art of fashion to tell stories about our mood, but also to tell the story of what we care most about, which has to be people and the planet. Thank you, Kimberly McLaughlin, the CEO and founder of Grant Boulevard in Philadelphia. Thank you. If you're a creator of or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram page. We recorded this podcast at the Grid Studios in West Philadelphia. Thank you to Ryan Martin, our producer. Music for this podcast was composed by Tatum Gale. This is Mindful Businesses with Vidya Ayub.